Hi, this is Tony Enzer, President and General Manager of your Amarillo Sod Poodles, and you're listening to Tom Talks Baseball. And welcome back. Another edition of the Tom Talks Baseball Podcast, Sod Poodles Spotlight. You can find us on Anchor, Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts now. Other places you find your podcast. Also, KGNCNewsNow.com and 1009theeagle.com. Happy New Year, the first episode of the podcast here in 2020. Hopefully you had a nice holiday season. And we're going to start the year off right by talking about Amarillo baseball. Sod Poodles, that first First year uh, in the books, championship season. What can we expect next year in terms of the type of talent we will have on the field? Well, I have an excellent guest who's been on the podcast before. They do great work uh, at the website madfriars.com. You can find them on Twitter as well at madfriars. But John Conniff joins us today. John, how you doing, sir? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. I'm in. Uh little colder where i'm at right now so i'm looking forward to going back down to amarillo a little colder where are you at right now i'm in dc so oh, okay it's, uh, it's, it's a little cold it's where i work all of us are kind of scattered all over the country right now but uh y'all get together to uh put together a prospect list and uh when the season starts we uh go out of our way to make sure we visit each and every one of the padres affiliates so uh thank you for having us on i had a great time in my uh first trip to amarillo last year well, looking forward to talking to you again today. But first of all, uh, have a good holiday. Yeah, I had a good time. It was uh, had a little bit of traveling, like like you didn't. We were talking a little bit off the air. I was, I was in India for a while, so that was a, a bit of a long plane ride. And then I have another trip coming up, so uh, should be good. But. No place has chicken fried steak like yeah. Amarillo, so that's what I'm looking forward to. Well, well, no doubt when it comes to food, uh, Amarillo has it going on. There are plenty of places to get just about whatever it is you want, and it's going to be uh, really, really good. Uh, but, I'm not sure it was that great for my diet, but well, then no, I had yeah. fun eating eating uh, the what at Green Chili Willies, the... Yeah, Chicken okay. Fried yeah, steak yes. three ways. My God, that was good. Jeez. <laughs> well, and also with a lot of food places, a lot of gyms have popped up too. So uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you can you can work off I some of those sure calories if you want. One of those in Amarillo too. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, John, as you know, uh, a very successful first season of Sod Poodles baseball. They ended up winning the Texas League title, and the Padres with that really stacked farm system last year. In fact, multiple outlets had them as the number one rated farm system in all of baseball, but of course, so with the new year, uh, some new prospects on the list, and some of the ones that made that list so great have moved on, like Fernando Tatis Jr. and Chris Paddock. Also, uh, Xavier Edwards and Louis Urias have been traded. So some of these really good players are gone from the Padres organization. How does their farm system look this year compared to last year? Well, we're pretty good about talking about what's in the Padres system. When we kind of kind of go out, I think our wives would kill us if we were uh, doing this for all the 29 other teams. But according <laughs> to people like Baseball America and uh, MLB Pipeline, the Padres are still in the top, you know, two or three systems in all baseball. And, you know, there's plenty of guys coming back. And, uh, you know, I think you can make a good argument that might even have the top prospect in all baseball. And Mackenzie Gore next year, too. 
And speaking of Mackenzie Gore, let's start there real quick because we saw him for just a little bit here in Amarillo. Of course, uh, outstanding right. work in Lake Elsinore with a 1.02 ERA and 15 starts, but did struggle a little bit once he got here to Amarillo. Uh, you have him on, by the way, before we get any further, uh, madfriars.com, John Conniff, and, and everyone else associated with the Mad Friars, they came out with their top 30 Padres prospect list, and I, I recommend you go there and check it out. Uh, you can subscribe to Mad Friars or just pay a small fee and see some of their work. But also what's great about the website during the year is for free, you can get their daily you know, game recaps uh, of all the the leagues within the Padres organization. So you can see what the Saw Poodles have done or Lake Elsinore or Tri-City and all that stuff. And it's just a really great source if you are a Padres fan or a fan of the prospects in the system like you might be here in Amarillo. But one of the guys... Well, yeah. well one, one, one quick thing is, I mean, we... There's five of us are going to do a top 30. Then we'll put together an overall Mad Fires top 20. So okay. mine's first. And, of course, you can just go off that. The other guys don't really yeah. matter. Just go <laughs> off mine. <laughs> and you can bring them on and talk about that. But yeah, I mean, most people, I can't imagine in any world where someone does not have McKenzie Gore as the top prospect uh, for the Padres. And, again, in all baseball, he's – the list I've seen, he's in the top two or three. But yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. You were talking about McKenzie Gore. You guys caught him a little bit. Yeah. We, we caught him year. a touch last year. He did struggle when he got here, and that's going to tie into a question I want to ask you a little bit later on in the podcast here. But uh, mm-hmm. uh, th- th- talk a little bit about his development last year. Uh, he, he had a splinter issue, I believe, a couple years ago. Didn't really deal with that last year. He did get shut down just, you know, as a precaution, just because that's what right. you do with some of your top guys. But uh, do, do you think he starts here in Amarillo because of the uh, the very short stint and the struggle, or do you think because of his incredible talent, the Padres are ready to move him on? Yeah, that, that's a really good question. And, and right now, I'm not sure we have enough information to give a good answer. I would say, even if they thought he was ready to be in the big leagues, you know, they're not going to go out there and throw him about 170 innings uh, right now. So they're going to try to work on his innings load, or what's the word they use in the, the NBA, the work the work management, whatever yeah. that is. Yep. So <laughs> load management. Him, <laughs> load management. So I could see him starting in either Amarillo or El Paso. I'd kind of lean a little bit more toward he would start in, El, in uh, Amarillo. Okay. Um, as far as talent goes, he had a blister issue the year before, which really prevented him from throwing as much as he would like to. So his fastball command was off a little bit. He couldn't throw his curve or slider at all. He didn't run into that problem last year. He's, I mean, I went on the air in San Diego and trying to be careful and not do too much hyperbole, but we've done this in 2003, and you know we've been Padres fans since the 80s. I can't think of a better pitching prospect that they've ever had. I mean, Gore is, as you said, he's six foot three, left-handed, has a mid 90s consistent fastball, has a plus change. A very good curve and slider. He is as competitive as they come. Extremely, as you know, he's extremely laid back once he's off the field. Uh, good athlete. Jim Callis of MLB pointed out that you know he was going to East Carolina. He was going to be a two-way player there. He would have been no later, according to Jim, uh, than a third-round pick as a center fielder. So this oh, wow. guy is an athlete. You know, if I were in Amarillo, I would get out and see him as as quick as you can, because I think he's going to throw the majority of his things in the big leagues next year. I'm just not sure when he's going up right now. So, so, so maybe he takes the mound at Hodgetown to start things, but uh, maybe a few starts in, he's moving on to AAA and beyond? 
Oh, he might not even make it to AAA. Oh, he mean, might he just skip just, it altogether. Yeah, he could just go straight up. I mean, as far as as far as if he's one of the best five starters on the big league team, yeah. I mean, he's that. I mean, I think the bigger question is, you know, if they put him out there in the big leagues in April, could he use a slight bit more development? Are they more worried about the amount of innings he can throw? So I think that's a legitimate question. I hope you're listening. Okay, there's a little bit of traffic coming by, but oh, you can still hear all the words. <laughs> oh no, you, you're sounding just fine. And, uh, and and one more thing on Gore. Let's say he goes into spring training and just dominates, you know, and uh, yeah. just puts up monster numbers. Do you think he just goes like a Chris Paddock last year, straight to the big leagues, bypassing the minor leagues altogether? You know, I don't know. I I, I really don't. I mean, because if you'd asked me last year, I would have said no. Okay. They're going to put Paddock up in uh, El Paso, but. Paddock looks so good, and they want to take the best 25. And if they do that, you know, I, I could see that Gore's a little younger. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm just not sure what they would do on that. I mean, I, I think spring training stats are kind of a mirage uh, to begin with. So I think they probably, you know, and the Padres got a pretty good plan about what they're going to do with them this year. Because, you know, I mean, if I can see it, I'm, I'm sure they're very well aware of, of what they do have with McKenzie Gore. So it sounds like if you missed your chance to see him last year before getting shut down, there is a possibility that you could see him again at Hodgetown to start things off oh, in, yeah. in uh, 2020. And, and we were talking before we cracked the mics open here. Uh, we're speaking with John Conniff of the uh, Mad Friars online, madfriars.com, Twitter at Mad Friars. Saw Poodles, potentially, depending on how the Padres want to place these guys, uh, could have one of the best minor league starting rotations uh, in all of baseball, because uh, number two on your list is Louis Patino, who we got to see just a, a little bit as well uh, before yeah. uh, being shut down. Control's one of his issues, but if he's able to get that control in line, what's his ceiling? Is he is he up there with Gore, or is he not quite at Gore's level with that potential? He's not quite at Gore's level, but he's he's pretty high. I mean, I think he could be a, a solid number three or number two pitcher. The thing about Patino, which is always shocking, I mean, he's about an even six feet. He's a pretty well-built, 190, 195. He gets tremendous torque out of his core, and that's where the velocity comes. Because, I mean, he throws a lot harder than uh, than you would think a guy his size can throw. He came along, he got, a, got his emotions a little bit better under control. That's what they were telling us. Um, one of the guys who's been on your podcast before, Kevin Charity, saw a lot of him last year, and he was really uh, – impressed. His slider came along quite quite a ways. I think Patino will be in Amarillo a little bit longer than Gore, so okay. you can see him a little bit more. Yeah, but just in terms of Amarillo, like what we were talking about, you know, I could see them bringing Adrian Morahone back to make sure they stretch him out. Reggie Lawson, who I think is probably the most underrated prospect that the Padres have. And then when you look at kind of the overall picture and the, the top five prospects that are pretty much going to be for everybody. You're going to have Mackenzie Gore, Luis Patino, uh, Luis Campisano, C.J. Abrams, and oh god, who else? And Taylor Trammell. You could probably see four or five of those guys in Amarillo, which I think would kind of be you know really interesting. Which which would be a lot of fun for us because last year you know we heard about the Padres having you know the number one farm system in all of baseball, yeah. but it seemed like the top guys 
you know, in their system, they kind of were on either side of Amarillo. You know, they were either in AAA right. getting ready to become Padres, or they were still down in Fort Wayne or Lake Elsinore trying to come up here. But this year, you're thinking, you know, some of the best prospects they got uh, could easily start here in Amarillo. Yeah, you know, and a guy who's was in my top ten down list is a really good shortstop in Gabriel Arias. And, I mean, I think fans there just really can enjoy watching him play defensively. I mean, it's the question is about how much of his bat is or is not for real. But uh, defensively, Arias is as good as they come. So he'll be fun. Luis Campisano was one of the best hitters, a very good developing catcher, you know, in, uh, for Lake Elsinore last year. You know, and as, I, as we were also talking off there, yeah, I'm a big – Reggie Lawson got shut down in early May. If Reggie's healthy and coming back, I mean, Reggie's is good – as anybody when he's on. I mean, you're talking about a guy who's... It was funny, when I interviewed Reggie, I asked him how tall he was, and he said, oh, you know, around 6'3 and a half to 6'5, six, 6'6. Six, six. I'm not really sure. <laughs> I've never really heard anybody answer a question like that. He was so relaxed. <laughs> but he's around two, 205, 210. He's got a mid-90s fastball he can throw consistently. He's got a very good curve, and as a Philip Wellman has worked with him a lot. He, he will throw his changeup more. As uh, Philip made that a, a very big and a, a focal point with Reggie's development last year. Oh, and he's always going to be the answer to the trivia question: Who was the first pitcher to ever take the mound at Hodgetown? It was uh, Reggie Lawson. It ended up being a loss, but just that whole uh, that whole night. Just we'll, we'll, I'll always remember that night. Just an incredible deal uh, there. And Reggie Lawson, a lot of fun watching him. He did get hurt last year. And uh, kind of disappeared. Like we, we were having a hard time finding anything on him, but it was nice to see him make an appearance in uh, the fall league and uh, get some innings. So it looks like he's back on track. Uh, let's go to Morahone a little bit more because we right. did see him a bit. You know, he was one of the big guys that was on the team to start the year, one of the bigger prospects yeah. in the Padres system. Ended up getting hurt. And then when he came back to Amarillo, just was pitching an inning here, maybe two innings, depending on how it went. He did see some time with the Padres. In fact, uh, his uh, Major League debut was against my Cubs, so I was kind of like torn a little bit. It was like, you know, I'm, I'm rooting right. against you here, but for you in the long run. Uh, you talked about maybe trying to stretch him back out. Is that the plan this year, try to get him back to being a starting pitcher? Because they do have quite a bit of money invested in him already. Oh, yeah. I mean, Morahone was the big guy. was a reason they kind of went over so big on the J2 that – international class in 2016. I mean, Morhone got a bonus of $11 million mm. with the penalties tied to it. It's a $22 million player. He had some shoulder issues last year. Supposedly they're, they're fine. He's gotten in better shape. Again, the thing on Morhone, he's never thrown over 70 innings in the three years he's been in the Padres system. Now, Morhone is just, I don't have it in front of me, He's about to turn 21. I think he's 20 right now. If Morahone's healthy, if Morahone's on, you know, Morahone's a better pitcher than, than Luis Patino. Wow. I mean, but, but the thing is, that's a big if. If he's on, if he's healthy. And you're talking about a left-hander. Again, a guy that has a mid-90s fastball. A very, very good curveball. Outstanding changeup. And he throws a a knuckle curve, which is kind of like a changeup, which just kind of drops straight down. Yeah, that was like a Mike Messina pitch, right? And that was a yeah, knuckle curve type much. deal. Yeah. Yeah. The whole thing is, 
you know, he's kind of an interesting thing with it with San Diego. I mean, I could I could see the Padres moving him in a trade, but you know, as I said, you know, there's that talent there, but what, is he ever going to realize it? So, uh, a lot of people get paid a lot more money than I make to are making these decisions about what they're going to do with, with Morehouse. But he's definitely someone to watch. You know, Cantusano, as I said, you guys should keep an eye on. Arias, I'm a big fan of. Cedric Trammell, we're going to find out if he can really play uh, a center field. I think he comes back there to start the year, but again, I could see that changing depending on personnel. So. Just uh, one more question on Morahone here. You know, and I'm going to sure. go back to the Cubs because that's you know that's that's been my team you know for life, but. Uh, I'm thinking of Kerry Wood right now, and the reason I'm thinking of him is because right. he came up as a starter for the Cubs and was very good at it, but injuries were a really big issue. And he eventually moved into the bullpen and became their closer and did all right at that outside of the control issues he had at times. Morahone's had that injury history already. He said hasn't thrown over 70 innings yet. Could he be a good closer-type pitcher with his stuff, or is he more suited at this point as a starter? Anybody that, that can generally be a starter, I mean, you try to keep them there as long as you can because the starter is more valuable just because of the number of innings they can throw. Um, a lot of guys that get moved back have to do with, as you said, injury concerns or they never can really master uh, pitch number three or four. Morhan has all the pitches, and I think that the concern of him is on, on his shoulder. He's worked a lot more as a starter, and he's worked a lot more if people think he can be a starter. So if Morahone has another year where he just throws 65 innings, his trade value is going to take a big dip. So that's kind of what I think the Padres are dealing with. I, I think, you know, with the amount of money, even though these are always separate things, I think with the amount of money they have invested in him, it would take a lot for them to move him. And I think they, they can see the ceiling. I mean, the ceiling on Morahone, yeah, you've seen him pitch too. When he's on, there's a lot to like. Yeah. It's tough. I think a guy like Michelle Baez, I think he's going to be more of a bullpen piece because he had trouble, you know, with kind of his secondary pitches when he comes out of the bullpen. And he gets a couple of ticks up more on his fastball, and then he can kind of work more on the slider as opposed to having to throw his change up more. Well, his uh, potential battery mate there in a Luis Campisano, you talked about him just a little bit ago. Uh, mm-hmm. We had a, a fun catcher here last year in a Louis Torrens, who, uh, right. you know, th- th- with the bat was all right, but was really good behind the plate, uh, throwing out base runners. I, I remember one game I was there, I think he threw out three. And it was just like, don't even try it anymore. The guy has your number. And it was a lot of fun watching him behind the plate. But you're thinking that Campusano is a potentially an even bigger prospect because of the bat, right? Oh, yeah. Campusano's a better prospect with the glove, too. Than, oh, than wow. So, okay. uh, yeah, Campusano's going to be 21 next year. Uh, kind of built like a catcher, pretty solid. I think he's about six, six feet, six one, pretty solid, 200, 205. Um, he's still kind of developing as a catcher. He kind of got moved there later in his high school career. Good athlete, very good hitter, very good idea of the strikes now. Has some power. The Padres have another catcher behind him, and uh, like Elsinore, Blake Hunt. You know, another guy, Logan Driscoll, and um, Fort Wayne. That's a position that they're pretty well um, well stacked at. You know, and also hopefully um, kind of move on to a different player. Hopefully, I think we'll see a better year from uh, Hudson Potts next year. So, I've always been a fan of his, but it seemed like he was working on the velocity 
it seemed that I was always trying to get a little quicker to the ball because it seemed like he was getting beat on some fastballs a lot last year. Yeah, and, and I want to go to Hudson Potts. I, he was next on sure. my list because, uh, I mean, obviously a big potential power guy, and you're thinking that, you know, Hodgetown, he, he'd be able to put up some incredible numbers. But oh, yeah. uh, he did struggle again at the AA level. He did so in 2018 after getting the call up, and then pretty much all last year uh, struggled to make the contact. Uh, at what point do you start to maybe move on from a Hudson Potts? Or, 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 like, is he still young enough to where it's like, all right, we got time to figure this out? Oh, you got a lot of time to figure this out. I okay. mean, Hudson was one of the youngest guys in AA last year. I thought the promotion the year before to San Antonio was a little rushed. And, I mean, I, I hope I don't sound like I'm saying that in too much hindsight. But, yeah, he was awfully young. He's been up good numbers in the Cal League. That's probably one of the biggest jumps in the minor leagues to go from A ball to to double A. Yeah, but they they like Hudson Potts a lot. So I mean, Hudson could even have a bad year this year, and then he'd be what twenty one or twenty two years old in uh, in double A. It's age is such a big factor in minor leagues, and I think that's kind of one of the reasons they they moved on from a guy like Buddy Reed, and who you know you saw last year, tremendous tremendous athletic talent, and at times he could just look like he was going to be an incredible player, but he never was consistent. And Buddy, I think Buddy's going to be about 25 this year. So that's kind of where you start to move on at that age. We're chatting with uh, John Conniff of the Mad Friars. Uh, they're online, madfriars.com. You can find them on Twitter, at Mad Friars. A lot of great work if you are interested in what the uh, San Diego Padres have happening in their minor league system, just like we are here in Amarillo Texas, uh, Hudson Potts, do you think they'd send him back to high A, or do you think it's like you've done what you need to do there, just figure it out in double A? I think it's the latter. I think they're just going to work on getting him to figure it out. I mean, I I talked to to Philip Wellman, the manager of the Sod Poodles. He's a big fan of of Hudson. Hudson at times, you know, where it looked like he was getting it, getting to it. He may have put a little too much pressure on himself. And that's a big jump. I mean, Hudson was a really young guy when he was drafted. He was essentially drafted when he was about a when he was 17 years old, he was a junior in high school. After his first year, he was still younger than most of the draft class that came out. So, uh, yeah, and he's, I mean, he talked to Hudson. He's a funny, he's a hardcore Texan. I mean, <laughs> he very much has the draw, the yes, sir, the no, ma'am, and, and all that. But um, good-sized athlete, has some strength. I think this year will be much better. Let's uh let's move on to Taylor Trammell uh, real quick. He's number five on your top thirty list. You can find a uh, John Conniff's list at madfriars.com. and he was a guy that they picked up in that three way trade uh, involving the Reds and the Indians last year. And the Padres ended up getting uh, one heck of a prospect in Trammell, and we got a a, a hero of sorts uh, based on what he did in that final uh, Texas League game a game that I think a lot of people around here will never forget. He has, as a whole, at the AA level, struggled. Uh, he did start to figure it out in the final 45 games or so, but what, is his, uh, what does he look like to you going down the road? You see, I haven't seen as much of Trimble. I've seen him on, on video, seen him on TV. Haven't had a chance to talk to him yet. I'm looking forward to seeing him in the spring. The big question with, with Taylor Trammell will be if he can stick in center field. If he can stick in center field, he's a lot more valuable than a uh, corner outfielder because I think his bat profile is better. You know, he's a guy who, in a perfect world, has some on-base skills, has some speed, has some gap power. He's not the type of guy that's probably going to hit 35 or 40 bombs, which is kind of what you want to see in the potential of a, of a corner outfield guy. 
and I think that's why I had him a little low. Was I'm not sure he could stick in center. The big knock on him is we're not sure how strong his arm is. He's got the speed and athletic ability. It was a really good move by the Padres to trade him. I mean, Pramil Reyes was really popular in San Diego. Logan Allen was a, a good pitching prospect, but if they had made that trade, tried to make that trade at the beginning of the year, it, it wouldn't have happened. And I think that's what kind of most trades are now in baseball. It's, you know, just finding out where a team is at a different cycle. Uh, you know, they're trying to win or they're tanking or they're in between or trying to shed payroll. You know, it's kind of like your team, the Cubs, are looking to trade a couple guys just to get under the luxury tax. I mean, it doesn't mean they're not good players, but you got the room, you can get a deal. Well, you talk about Tramiel being in center field and the Padres, you know, talking about trades, ended up getting Tommy Pham uh, right. from the Rays. And so you're thinking if that's the case, center field's kind of going to be locked up for a bit at the apparent club. What, is, what does that mean for a guy like Tramiel? Well, Pham is more of a corner. Pham is more of a corner guy. Okay. And the guy they got in uh, the deal with Milwaukee, um, gosh, you don't have that in front of me. That's that's another more of a corner outfielder, but they're going to try to put him in center. Yeah, I I think you know a lot of that stuff is when you're looking at minor league players or getting guys, you tend to just to try to get a player and work on getting him to be a good player before worrying about where they're going to fit in the big club. But a good example is the top pick. This pastor is C.J. Abrams. And Abrams had a tremendous year in the AZL, had a brief run up at Fort Wayne. He's going to start in Fort Wayne, which is a low-A club. He's going to play shortstop there. Now, the obvious thing is what they got Fernando Tatis. Why are you putting him at shortstop? Well, I mean, shortstop's where he's going to get the most reps. Shortstop's the toughest position. If he can play there, he can play at a lot of positions. So that's where they're going to kind of see where he fits. By the time he gets up to a place like Amarillo, or El Paso, if he's playing shortstop, then they can eventually move him over to second or even maybe try him in center field. But right now, for Taylor Chamel, the most important thing is you know, putting him in the middle field, getting him as many reps as he can defensively out there, you know, making sure you know, his, his bat is where it needs to be, and then, then you kind of worry about it once he gets up to San Diego. Well, if you do get a chance to chat with him, uh, he, he was one of my favorite interviews from last year, having him on he's the podcast. He's one of everyone's favorite yeah. interviews. Yeah. He, he's Kevin just a good David guy. Kevin and both love talking to him a lot, too, when he was at the Futures game in San Diego. I think one of my favorite moments of the whole year on the podcast was uh, we were able to get him on shortly after that trade from the Reds, and uh, mm-hmm. you know I kind of asked him his thoughts of now being in this Padres organization, and he said we're nasty. <laughs> I just oh. thought that was that was great. I think he he's a he's really enjoying uh, being in this organization and being around these guys, and he looks like he could potentially be a really good piece for the Padres uh, going down the road. Uh, another outfielder that we saw a little bit last year before getting hurt was Jorge Onya, and, uh, yeah. who uh, Happy Belayda just turned uh, 23 on uh, New Year's Eve, I believe. But he was looking to have a, a breakout year. He struggled a little bit, was really getting going, but then he suffered a shoulder injury. Uh, do you think he's going to start here again? And if so, do you think what he was doing last year is more of what we can expect to see, or do you think he's still uh, got a ways to go in terms of trying to figure it out? He was a lot of fun to watch last year. I got to see him play a little bit because I was out of Amarillo early. And uh, I mean, he's got a great body. The tough thing about Jorge Oni is he's kind of sold to it as this guy who could play center field, but is really kind of comfortable in both outfield corners. I mean, you watch him play, he's pretty much a left fielder only. And he, 
it's going to take a while for him to kind of get comfortable defensively. At the plate, he's got a really good idea of the strike zone. As you know, he's a big, really well-built guy. I mean, he's, I mean, I think Jorge has to be about, what, 6'1", at least, at least 220, 225. I mean, you've seen him up close, too. Yeah. Um, and he can he can really drive the ball. I'm not sure where he'll start. I think that's going to kind of depend upon the personnel, and he's a little bit older. Um, if they're being cautious, yeah, I would start him back in Amarillo in left field, at least for uh, the beginning of the year. But, you know, when you start looking about where these guys will start, you kind of got to put all four full-season clubs up on the board. And the goal is to make sure you get your best prospects playing every day. So if they want to have someone up, they could move Jorge up to uh, El Paso. I could see that, too. But, uh, yeah, he's another guy who got a big, big deal, $7 million from Cuba. Uh, 14 million with the, the penalties in there, so you know he's a guy that kind of like to see what he can do. Well, one other guy I want to talk about that's on your list. I, I was kind of shocked to see where you had him was David Bednar. Uh, you had him down at, yeah. at 29 on your top, which is still pretty good. I mean, if you're in the top right. 30, you're doing well. But uh, he turned into an incredible strikeout pitcher last year, became our closer at times, and was able to get it done at a very hitter-friendly ballpark. In fact, saw some uh, action with the big league club there in San Diego. Uh, why is David Bednar maybe a bit lower on your list compared to some of the other guys? Well, it's weird. I always get dinged by my fellow writers on there for putting too many relievers. Okay. <laughs> up in my top 30. So usually the thing, the argument by the people against what I would do is, well, you can take a good starting pitcher, and if they move him to the bullpen, suddenly that guy will will do what um, the guy's doing. Because the, the concept is anyone that's in the bullpen is not able to start either for they don't have enough pitches or for injury reasons. And that's kind of what you, a bit of a tangent. It's kind of what you see in the – Hall of Fame debate. When you start talking about relief pitchers in the Hall, um, I think Bender can be good. I like what I saw. I think he can be part of the bullpen, but relievers are kind of fungible. So I think there's more value in a guy that is an everyday player or a or a, piece, a part of a starting rotation than there is for the relief pitcher. You think you think he's a, a Padre to start the year because of how great he was last year? Or do you think he maybe starts in Triple A? You kind of got to see what they're doing. The Padres had a, a signing of a guy, Pierce Johnson, in the offseason, $5 million. I don't think they're done yet. I think there's probably about one or two more trades still on the books for them. But I think Bender looked good when he was in San Diego. I think he's certainly in the discussion. Um, if he's in El Paso, he's going to be getting a lot of Southwest Air Miles because he'll be up and down pretty quick. Well, a couple other guys I want to talk about before we uh, we move on to a, a few things to wrap things up here. Once again, uh, mm-hmm. chatting with John Conniff, MadFriars.com. Great resource if you are a, a San Diego Padre fan or a fan of their minor league teams, as we have uh, the double-A team here in Amarillo. A couple guys that we're probably not going to see this year that we had a lot of fun watching last year are Owen Miller, and Edward Olivares uh, probably going right. to move on. You talk about a guy moving up through the system quickly in Miller. I mean, just to pretty much boom your first full season, we're going to put you in double A <laughs> and, yeah. and, and have you go at it. And Olivares was a guy, I think I remember talking with you or even David J. last year, 
uh, kind of between he and Buddy Reed where you went with your rankings on who was ahead of who. And uh, obviously, Oliveris put together a really good year for the side. Poodles was arguably their best hitter, probably moving on. Uh, what do their futures look like? I'm especially cons- worried about Miller because of just how much uh, talent the Padres have on the infield. Well, I'll go to Oliveris first because okay. that was David. He did like him more than Buddy Reed, and I'm sure David will be delighted to remind me that he said that numerous <laughs> times. If you have him on, I mean, you probably won't even have to ask him, and he will let you know that he had Oliveris over Reed. Um, but yeah, Oliveris was a little bit more of a well-rounded player. I mean, when the thing about Buddy Reed was, I think both David and I really liked his athleticism and the six-four, you know all the stuff you could see, but he just couldn't hit. Yeah. I mean, I think I had one scout telling me that his left-hand swing was a bad hockey swing. I mean, so Oliver's was a little bit more better-rounded player. I would have liked to see him play a little bit more in the middle of the field, but the Padres had so many guys who could play center they wanted to see. Oliver's would definitely, I think, be in AAA. Depending on kind of what he does, uh, he could get a shot next year. I think the Padres are putting more of an emphasis on uh, – on on-base percentage, so and Oliveris had a big tick on that, tick up on that. As far as Owen Miller, Owen Miller was just an interesting guy, and that uh, if you you look at him, he's a he's a pretty normal looking guy, but he's kind of has a lot of sneaky athleticism. He was more of a basketball player growing up, and a guy who played baseball. I think from what the Padres had told me, they didn't want to keep having him play multiple positions. And, you know, he can really hit. I mean, I think it was a spring training, and I, I overheard a couple of players saying they were watching Miller hit. It's like, you know, just grind, 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 hit. Grind, 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 hit. I mean, he just really – he has a he has a really good hand-eye coordination. He can make a lot of contact. Maybe someone would like to see him walk a little bit more. I'm not sure how much power he has, but I do think he'll play in the major league. I think maybe like a uh, like a Ben Zobrist type guy. Maybe you he don't ha- have a permanent spot, but you are like super utility man. Yeah, and I know one thing the Padres were kind of on him a little bit in offseason was they want him to really kind of come in in a little bit better shape because um, they they think he they think he can play shortstop, but you know shortstop's a, a tough position and you have to have a decent amount of athleticism to play there. I mean, he can right now. They're just kind of a little bit worried about um, as he gets older. But, yeah, he had an impressive year. And it's tough to really measure things in Amarillo because it's such a good hitting environment. That Yeah, the numbers are always better at home than they are on the road, but they're that way for everybody. And the question is how you're never really sure about how real those numbers are. And that's another thing we were talking about off the air was when I was in Amarillo, we were talking with some of the older guys who were there when, who saw um, Tony Gwynn play with the Gold Sox in the last month of the season. And I remember asking him about what type of stadium, I think it's, isn't it Potter, Potter Memorial? Yeah, uh, yeah, Potter County Stadium. Yeah. yeah. And they were saying that that place was much more of a pitcher's park because it was something like about 370 down the line. And I think 430 or something in the center field, which is kind of unusual because they kind of had to fit Hodgetown in the downtown so with a thin air up there, the elevation of the ball does travel a little, little, little bit more. But, um, you know, I think I think most places in the minor leagues are like that. El Paso, the ball travels too. And, you know, you're never really going to be completely sure about what you do and don't have to assume in the major leagues. 
Uh, talking about the ballpark, I, w- I want to get your thoughts on that. Now, um, I, I don't know how often you get a chance to, to, to chat with some of the, the scouting guys in the Padres organization, but you know, yeah. l- looking at the park factor for Hodgetown, uh, the the run the home run factor was over 200, meaning that teams hit tw- more than twice as many home runs at Hodgetown than they did away from Hodgetown. So obviously right. it's going to skew uh, some statistics and, and have an effect on things. Does it make it tougher to judge talent when you're playing at a place that leans so heavily, whether it's toward pitchers or toward batters, or, or is it still easy to tell, hey, this guy's just good just because? Well, I don't know if it's ever easy to tell. I mean, they're going to be looking, they're going to be making evaluations at places other than at Hodgetown, at other places in the league, other things which I've seen before, other things which I've seen in personal workouts. You know, it was kind of weird when you went to San Antonio, which was a former double-A you know, the wind would swirl there so much. A lot of pitchers looked a lot better, you know, than they were, and batters were not quite as bad as the numbers indicated. So each park has different factors. I mean, I think they would have liked a little bit more of a neutral environment. I think that could have been solved by having the fences out a little further. But, you know, the guys who built Hodgetown, I mean, were kind of constricted by the downtown area. They built the best park that they could. And it is a lovely park. It's a fun place to go and uh it's a, you know, the Padres are lucky in the sense that probably the top four minor league clubs, you know, AAA, AA, and the two A-ball levels, you can make a good argument three of them are probably in the top ten of all minor league baseball. So, you know, the Padres have kind of stumbled into uh, some dumb luck in terms of uh, the venues that they have for their players. Chatting with uh, John Conniff here for a little bit longer. Uh, he is uh, one of the writers for MadFriars.com. A, a great resource there uh, if you are a Padres or a fan of their minor league teams. You can also find them on Twitter at MadFriars. Uh, the Padres, of course, uh, because of their state at the major league level, uh, they're re- they were rebuilding. Uh, they made mm-hmm. a big splash last year in the offseason getting Manny Machado. And this year they've made a, some trades, which has allowed a few players that maybe like a Xavier Edwards was one that was maybe forecasted to be here. He's now gone because of right. a trade. Uh, what do you think? How do the Padres look going into 2020? Are, are they ready to take that next step to go after a playoff berth? And if so, what kind of players in their uh, system do you think are potential trading chips? Well, I, I don't think they're done yet on the trade. So I do think they're a better team than they, they were when they finished last year. Okay. I think they got uh, you know some advantages in uh, getting some outfielders with more on-base skills than they had, which they identified as a problem. I think they're probably still, I've read, and I don't have any direct reporting on this, if they're looking for more of a center fielder. Uh, Marte is always a name that comes up that you read. I'm not sure how true that is or is not. They've been trying to move uh, Will Myers' contract that's been coming up. There's rumors they've been looking for kind of a, a mid-level starting pitcher. Um, Kevin, number three, to eat a lot of innings. As far as if they're ready to, I think they're going to be a better team next year. I think they could compete for a wild card spot. Um, the guys who could be coming up are the guys we talked about earlier, Gore and Patino, I think will definitely be in the big league mix. You know, it's tough to say that I don't think they're they're quite there yet, but uh, they're getting better, and they, they kind of see it as a process. I, I like where they're going. Uh, it's probably not fast enough for San Diego fans. You got to remember, this is a a team that has been in was founded I think in '69. They have never won a World Series. They've been in it twice. 
they have won a grand total of one game. So uh, mm. <laughs> the fans kind of want to see him win a little bit more, but I don't think the cake's quite done yet. Well, and the good news is, you know, if you're just patient enough, it looks like you got a lot of good things yeah. going for you. You know, maybe not next year yet, but maybe the year after that's when you're ready to go ahead and try to go all in and get something done to get to October baseball. Well, the biggest thing they have is I think they're going to have some really good pitching, and that's what yeah. we talked about. And and pitching, as you saw by the Garrett Cole contract, is is something that is you know really expensive and a, and a small to medium market town like San Diego can't really afford to go pay 232 or $300 million for a pitcher. I'm sorry, all my notes in front of me like this. But, yeah, they can't afford to pay that much cash. So, I mean, having guys like a McKenzie Gore, a Chris Paddock, a Luis, Luis Patino, or if Morahone or Lawson works out, that's going to kind of be the ticket uh, for the Padres. And, you know, Fernando Tatis was probably, if he'd been healthy, probably would have been the best rookie in baseball last year. So I think they're on the right path. I mean, they're going in the right direction, and uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. Well, John, uh, one final thing I want to ask you about, unfortunately, kind of a, uh, a, a bad story, if you will, that came out in December. Of course, uh, we still got a year to go on this, but contraction talk. Uh, mm-hmm. No, they got one more year of the current way things are between the MLB and the MILB, but the, obviously there seems to be a uh, some disagreement on things, and one of the stories coming out was uh, killing off 42 teams. Uh, right. And then when Rob Manfred heard some other things, said maybe we'll just get rid of it altogether. I don't know. But uh, you've been around a lot of minor league baseball. You've been to a lot of these cities that have these teams in it. Just how devastating would this be to the game of baseball if any sort of contraction of this magnitude were to happen? I, I've always, I mean, we're working on a story on that. Hopefully we'll one out by the end of the month. We're in the process of doing some reporting. I, I think a lot of it's just negotiation points to start off. Because if you take a look that there hasn't been a, a minor league or major league kind of new agreement since 1990. And a lot of things have changed. And so right now I look at it as kind of a fight between billionaires versus millionaires that you know, major league clubs want certain things at the facilities. So, you know, because Amarillo has a new stadium, Amarillo has an indoor batting cage, Amarillo has a, a, a great training room, uh, Amarillo has a great indoor facilities for, for the players. If you go down a level to like Elsinore, that doesn't exist. And when a team, a major league club, you know, wants those things to be built, if you're Owning a minor league club, which are owned by a lot of times groups of guys, group, different ownership groups, what they're looking for is they're looking for ways to maximize their revenue. So the thought about putting an indoor batting cage in there to make sure it's easier for whatever major league parent club to come up doesn't really resonate as well with them as, hey, we're going to put in a new left field features with a you know, German beer garden, which is going to attract more people and do more for our bottom line. So I think once once they get some agreement where every affiliated minor league stadium would have to have a certain level of certain amenities, they work something out more on, on the travel, on the buses, which is largely a dead issue anyhow from what I've seen. I think a lot of that was just kind of like an opening negotiating point. It's like going down to Mexico and you make some ridiculous offer for uh, <laughs> for some souvenir and you know that's not going to be taken, but you're willing to go like halfway. So I think that's where this will eventually end up. I don't think any teams will be contracted myself. 
Well, hopefully you're correct because uh, th- that would be great for the country if uh, minor league baseball can keep going as strong as it's going. We had a, an uptick yeah. in attendance last year as a whole. You know, a, a lot of uh, right. you know major league baseball has been struggling with attendance, but minor league baseball seems to be uh, been doing okay at this point, and it'd be nice to keep that going. Well, the one thing you got to think about is this: is that all you have to do is look at a major league salary and look at how much major league free agents are being paid, and look how much guys are being paid in the first three years. It is in, totally within the team's interest to have as much a development apparatus, as many you know, things you can do to get players up to the major leagues where you can have six years of controlled costs, three of way below market costs. So the thought that somehow they would just do away with minor league baseball and get guys out of college is ridiculous. And I mean, right now, I think both, both sides are kind of, you know, are demagoguing the issue, and I think people who follow minor league baseball I and mean, follow baseball know that there's going to be something that's going to be worked out. Well, hopefully so, and also for a baseball standpoint, just thinking about oh, yeah. the, the the talent that it takes to play the game. I mean, the jump from high school to the major leagues is, I think, would be near impossible for anybody, despite how talented oh, you yeah. are compared to like the NBA, where you know you can go from high school to the NBA and be good. Right off the bat, you know, baseball. You, g- good luck hitting that curveball <laughs> that he well, hasn't you know, ever seen. I think it was by it was Chris Singleton. I, I was listening to a podcast once, and he was talking about the guy that was Tyler Murray, who was uh, the quarterback from Oklahoma, who was the top pick of the A's. And he was saying, like, the interviewer asked, you know, where he should, um, what he should do. Should he play football or baseball? And, and it was Singleton was a a baseball guy, he said, oh, he should play football. And he goes, oh, that's kind of surprising you'd say that. He goes, you don't think he's that good in baseball? I goes, no, I saw him play at Oklahoma. I think he's really good. He has got speed. He needs to kind of spend a little more time, take a couple better routes and all this, but he's very good and certainly had a fastball. And then the other guy said, well, why did you say he would play football? He said, because he's going to go to the A-ball level and he's going to struggle like the rest of us do with a change-up and a breaking pitch I have a friend, the guy can do this, and he's going to get to a point where he wants to quit. And for all of us who are, who are playing, the option is, well, we can go back and try to find a job, not I can go to the Oakland Raiders and make $10 million playing a quarterback. He said baseball is a game of repetition, and it just takes some time to figure out these things. And uh, in football and basketball, a lot of athleticism can kind of mask your deficiencies in the game. In baseball, that doesn't happen. Well, John, I want to thank you for joining us today on the podcast. Uh, what's the weather like in D.C.? You said you were outside there hanging out with the traffic. Is, is it chilly? Yeah, it's a little chilly. It's kind of rainy. Ooh, but, rainy. Uh, yeah, a little, 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 little drizzly, but uh, it'll be okay. I mean, i got spring train to look forward to, so that's keep me keep me excited. Have you guys mapped out where you're going to be uh, heading in 2020? I know you guys like to split up and, and hit all the uh, Padre minor league ballparks. Yeah, we're going to definitely – We're well, one, we're going to definitely be at all the affiliates. Um, I think David's going to try to get out to Amarillo this year. I definitely will be out in Amarillo and eating barbecue and chicken fried steak. Hey, there you go. Baseball. <laughs> so I can't beat that. And, uh, but yeah, we'll hit all of them, and uh, we'll make sure we have coverage of all the things. We have a new writer on, Mark Wilkins, who just wrote a new piece on there, and he, he broke down the whole uh, off season. If you guys want to look at that, it's for free. He does, does a nice job on that. But, uh, yeah, we're looking forward to seeing all the guys. We always do. 
Well, John Connor, thanks again for joining us today. Uh, when you get out here, uh, hit us up. Uh, we'll go to a ball game. We'll, we'll find some good chicken fried steak, and then we'll hit Golds afterwards. Yeah, how's oh, that? That's definitely a deal. <laughs> All right. I'm still on that. John Conniff, once again, uh, with the Mad Friars. Find them online, madfriars.com. Also a great Twitter account as well, at Mad Friars. Thanks for joining us today. This has been the Tom Talks Baseball Podcast, Sod Poodles Spotlight. Everybody, Happy New Year. We will talk to you again soon.